Welcome to this segment of Catholic Focus. I'm Joan Ebistinski, your host, and today I'm joined by Claire Caulfield. Uh, Claire, thank you for being with us. It was a pleasure pleasure meeting you. I got to hear you. Thank you so much for having me. I got to hear you speak at the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation dinner a few weeks ago, and what a great experience that was. Well, first of all, let me say congratulations. You were the winner of the National Right to Life Oratory Contest, and it was really great to hear you do that do that speech for us. And I know that you were first the uh, the winner of the Pennsylvania contest. Is that correct? Yes. And then Excellent. I was sent to the National Right to Life Convention. Excellent. Well, let me, can, can we talk a little bit about you first before we get into that? I'd like to know, I know this is going to know who you are and where you came from a little bit about yourself. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I was born and raised just south of Erie, Pennsylvania, which is in the west, top west corner of our state. I'm the ninth of 10 children, and we were all homeschooled. So I was homeschooled K through 12. And now I am going to Gannon University, which is a Catholic diocesan college in Erie. And I'm a freshman there, and I'm majoring in math. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about your press. So you wrote this, originally you wrote this uh, speech for the Pennsylvania contest. Is that correct? Yeah, I wrote it for the county contest first, because Erie, the chapter of Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation for Erie has a high school oratory contest. So I competed in that all four years of high school. And then he would video it for me and send it into the state. And then I was sent on to the national. (laughs) What was your process like in preparing for it? How how did you prepare? What was the process like? Well, it was always difficult for me to find what topic every year. So I was talking to my brother and sister-in-law and they brought up that the crisis pregnancy centers had been blasted after the Dobbs decision. So I thought, well, maybe I could go into something like the crisis pregnancy center shouldn't be vandalized like this or something. So I just wanted to find articles about that. So I just typed crisis pregnancy centers into Google and then it didn't come up like I expected. It came up with articles blasting them saying they're so bad, they're so evil. So I thought maybe I could just make a whole speech about this because the top article is the one I clicked on. And it was everything they were saying against the pregnancy centers was exactly what the abortion clinics were doing. So I thought, well, I could make a whole speech about that. Yeah, I got to tell you, it was well organized and it was very succinct. And uh, I think I mentioned it before we started recording here today. After you got done speaking, I went over to Kevin Bagata, who is the president and the CEO of Real Alternatives, and I said to him, wow, you got a lot of support there for <laughs> today from her. And he was yeah. really, really impressed with, with the words that you had to say about the topic in general and Real Alternatives specifically. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, I know everyone at our table uh, at the radio station, everybody was blown away by uh, how clearly organized your speech was and your delivery was Thank you. Your delivery was like we we see on radio and television. So uh, <laughs> congratulations for your delivery too. So thank you. Thanks so much. In the state competition, was that just a thing where you send a recording in? So there was no event. It was just a right. Matter. And then they just said you won first or second. Yeah. Was there a presentation then to the, at the state thing at the state level? No, the state level was just take a video of my speech when I was giving it at the county level, Mm -hmm. and then that was all. Now, how did you find out then that you won the national? Uh, Remel Tenney, the education director, called our house and said, I actually wasn't home. I think I was at work when she called, and then I got an envelope in the mail, too, saying it. 
Wow. Did it surprise you or did you feel as though you had it in the bag? I didn't think I had it in the bag. I thought it would place because I've placed every year of high school, but I haven't like last year I didn't get first. So I didn't, I didn't know where I would fall. I certainly knew it was a possibility. Well, for those of us uh, that are, those of our listeners that are listening that didn't hear your speech, can you tell them, give, give us like the elevator version of what you said in your speech, because it was really, really impressive. What would, what would you say would be like the, the main topic of what you said and how you said it? Uh, the main topic was there's there's an article written by Dr. Amy Bryant and Dr. Jonas Swartz that was centered around why crisis pregnancies are legal but unethical. And they had lots of reasons that crisis pregnancy centers are legal but unethical. And so I chose three of the reasons um, they're not complying with HIPAA they're not abiding by the four fundamental principles. They're acting like they're licensed, but they're not. And then I took each of those and I said, well, actually the abortion clinics are the ones that are this way. They're not complying with HIPAA. They're not abiding by the four fundamental principles. They're not licensed when they should be. So I sort of turned it back on the crisis pregnancies or on the abortion clinics and said, we should close all the abortion clinics because they're legal, but unethical. And it was very impressive. It was really impressive when you did it. Thank you. And, and you know, as, as, I talked to you before we started recording. I mentioned that uh, I'm actually a retired educator and education mm-hmm. is, is so very important to me. And having my whole career in education, sometimes we come out of all of those years with the negative attitude of our youth and our future, the future for our comp- our country. You're an example who is a positive force. And I guess is there something that you could say to those people that are more mature like me uh, to help us have a more positive outlook on the future when it comes to what our youth are doing and what you're thinking? I certainly understand why there's a negative view, but I also see a lot of good things. Like when I go to the March for Life every year, most of them are college age, high school age. It's all the youth youth groups coming and which makes sense because the older people have jobs and they don't want to sit on the bus all night to go but and people have signs saying we're the pro-life generation and i i i believe it like the the movement of the young people at the march for life is the biggest instance is really awesome it's like it's really invigorating when you're there because it's all like if you can feel like you're the only one and i think that's because that's what the news wants you to believe. Like, well, everybody's everybody's thinking this, so just go along with it. No one's pro-life. No one's mm-hmm. believes in God or anything like that. But I see a lot of people, and just around our campus, like if we do tabling or we just did 40 Days for Life outside of Rite Aid, just the people walking down the street, 75% of it, if not more, is positive. I completely agree with you. Amen. Thank you for standing here. So I see a lot of positive yeah, I think maybe it might be the media that twists it a lot of times so that we yeah. have a more negative view on our youth and therefore our future. So I guess right. to sum up what you're saying is maybe our future isn't as negative as it might be from the way yeah. the way it looks to us, old, you know, more mature people. Right. Because they only you only see what they want you to see. They only show you exactly what they want. Which isn't wow. the whole picture. <laughs> well, that's that's certainly a positive positive note. I'm going to ask you to predict what do you think is going to happen here in Pennsylvania when it comes to the uh, pro life issue. I know that 
as we record this, Ohio just enshrined the right yeah. to abortion in their uh, constitution. And there's a movement here to do that in Pennsylvania, too. Uh, I know you have your your finger on the pulse of what's going on. What what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I think it's going to be hard to make any progress in the on the pro life side because our governor is obviously very pro abortion. So I don't know if we could like I don't think we could have start having abortion bans. But I don't know if it's going to go in the other direction because as far as I know, like the Senate and the House are pro life or closely pro-life. So I don't think it's going to go in either direction. I, From what I understand, I think we're going to stay pretty like pretty much like we are. Obviously, cutting out the funding of real alternatives is a bad direction, but hopefully that won't happen. Yeah, all we could do is pray and let, let our people in Harrisburg know what our opinion is. A lot of times, the majority of people think someone else will, will write, they'll make that phone call, they'll write that letter. But right. we need to Everybody needs to be involved in this issue because this is something that's not going to go away. And since the Dobbs decision, it has certainly you know brought it to the forefront again. But a lot of people have the misconception that because uh, because of that decision, you know, we're done with it. But they don't understand that now we have fifty different we have fifty different battles to fight instead of just that right. One, right? Yeah. And while some states are saying, okay, we're going to cut back on abortion, others are saying now we're going to have more abortion than ever. Like California, New York are prime examples. Tell me, tell me a little bit ab- about your family. We didn't, we we kind of went over your. You said you have nine siblings, right? Yes. Tell tell us a yeah. little bit, a little bit about your family. So uh, I have nine siblings, and I'm the ninth. So there's one younger than me. He's 15, and then the oldest is 34 right now. So most of us still live in Erie. I have two sisters that joined a monastery in northern Vermont. And I have two brothers that are married. And so there are six grandchildren right now with one more on the way. And they all live in Erie, which is really nice because we still get to see them a lot. Um, and then one one of my brothers is in Cleveland. Another one is in Philadelphia getting his doctorate. And then yeah, my older brother and I are both again. And, and then the youngest one is still getting homeschooled. Tell me about your parents. They must be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> they uh, grew up in Maryland, and then they both went to Mount St. Mary's, and that's where they met. And then they got married after that. My dad got his master's in math from the University of Maryland, and then they moved to Glenville, and he went to West Virginia University and was teaching to get his doctorate in math. And then after they moved from Glenville, West Virginia, they came up here to Erie, and we've lived here ever since. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I really do appreciate your time. I know you're a college student. You have lots of lots of work to be doing right now. So yeah. thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend time with us here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Claire Caulfield, the winner of the National Right to Life Oratory Contest. Thank you for being with us here at Holy Family Radio. I'm Joan Evastinsky, your host. Thank you for listening to this segment of Catholic Focus. Listen again. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Welcome to this segment of Catholic Focus. I'm Joan Epistinsky, your host, and right now I'm joined by Matthew Wagner. He's the Executive Director of Family Promise of Harrisburg Capital Region. Welcome to Holy Family Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, tell us a little bit. I think many of our listeners may not even know about uh, Family sure. Promise, so why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Sure. Well, we are an organization that serves families with children who are experiencing homelessness or who are at risk of being homeless. We are the the local chapter of a national organization, has about 200 affiliates, but each of us operate independently. We each have our own board of directors. uh, And the great thing about that is every chapter is able to kind of adapt their programming to the needs in their community. And how long have you been with the organization? So I've been here about two and a half years now, mm-hmm. and they haven't fired me yet. So. <laughs> well, I, I, a lot of our listeners, like I said, may not know about – first of all, I think it's a problem that a lot of people here in central Pennsylvania don't even know that, sure. how big a problem it is. Absolutely. So, so can I say a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think when we think of homelessness in general, you know, we think of the guy sitting on the corner with the cardboard sign – you know, we'll work for food or something like that, right? But the reality is there are so many more uh, homeless people that are uh, either living with family, they're staying in a hotel, they're staying in their car. Um, those are the what we refer to as the hidden homeless, those that we don't even uh, think of when we think of homeless people. Yeah, and this is a hard thing. I, I, you know, I assume it's hard for adults, but even – more of a problem for children, and you deal with Absolutely. families a lot yeah. of times, right? Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I think people don't realize. You know, um, most shelters are gender based, right? So most mm-hmm. shelters are either for women and children, or for men. Um, but the way that's defined is a male over the age of fourteen. So mm-hmm. if you have, let's say, a single mom with a ten-year-old and a fourteen-year-old son. Your 14-year-old would have to be at the men's shelter while you're at the women's shelter with your other child. And people don't realize that. You know, uh, a husband and wife who are experiencing homelessness, the husband has to be at one place while the wife and and the kids are somewhere else. I mean, it's difficult enough for a family to work out schedules and take care of what they need to when they're together, no less when they're in two different locations. So our program is unique in that it keeps the families together while they're getting back on their feet. What about funding? Where do you get your funding? Well, it's a combination of. um, We we get about 40% of our funding comes from grants, whether it's uh, county funding or uh, private grants, public grants, all of those kind of things. And then uh, the bulk of it is from individuals, churches, businesses that um, care about their community and want to make a difference. Now, when it comes to that, do you find that more you get more donations at this time of the year with everyone thinking about donations and goodwill and that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, I, I would say that's a that's a fair statement. Um, you know, this is the time of year that we're. Th- that people are more are thinking more about giving back. We have our annual appeal that we kicked off about two weeks ago that we run from middle of November to the end of January. Um, so this is our big solicitation push right now. But you know we do things throughout the year to raise awareness and raise money as well. Yeah, that's one of those things. A lot of times we forget that people are homeless 
all the, all time, the time, not just yep. in, in December Absolutely. when everybody's thinking about giving back to the community, right? Yep. You say that your program works with families. Do you have like a family shelter where you have yeah. these people going? How does that work? So we're a little unique, again, in the fact that we have our day center in Camp Hill, which is where the families will be working on their goals, working on finding a job, figuring out childcare, arranging transportation, obviously looking for a place to live, doing all of those things. That's also where they get their, uh, the, you know, they take care of their laundry. They, uh, we have shower and bath facilities there and all of that, but they don't actually spend the night at our day center. We have a network of churches throughout the area that each take a week at a time up to four weeks a year uh, where the, they will have somebody from the church come pick up the families. We have a 14-passenger van. They'll come pick up the families, take them to the church. All your know, Church ladies love making food, so they'll cook them dinner. Um, they get to have a family meal together. And then uh, we, give, we provide them with air mattresses and sheets and blankets and pillows and all that. They'll spend their night at the church, and then they come back to the day center the next day. So the kids will go from there to school and the parents will work on uh, what they need to do from there. Wow, it sounds like an amazing program, but it sounds complicated to set up. I mean, wow. It can be. It can be. You know, one of our challenges right now is, you know, particularly after the pandemic, um, a lot of churches lost their volunteers. So get you know, finding churches who are able to help us with that it has been a has been a challenge but the churches that we have are fantastic and it's a great way for a church or an organization to really kind of get into ministry get into serving the community without having to worry about all of the extra programming and and all of that cuz we're taking care of all that wow that is that is amazing like i said a lot of people may not even know because i think it seems like you've been under the radar for a little bit now. Only now are people finding about your, yeah, your program. Well, and now that we've been on, on the air with you, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be household names. That's so. exactly right. Uh, how many families do you typically serve? Yeah, so uh, our shelter program, we can serve up to three families at, at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the limit for that is based, is the size of the van more than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's a 15-passenger van. So, so we serve three families at a time in our shelter program, but mm-hmm. then we also do a lot of prevention services as well. So, for example, uh, we are a partner of the United Way, the Capital Region, and their Road to Success program, which is designed to eliminate barriers to jobs that pay a family sustaining wage. So we have about 50-some folks enrolled in that program right now, and over 80% of those are actively working, which is awesome. Um, we also, in the last year or so have created some additional what we refer to as diversion programs so if we can help somebody avoid needing shelter um, we will do that as well we have a program that has funds for permanent transportation needs so getting your car fixed Um, we have funds for getting caught up on rent um, or utilities and those kind of things and we even have a program to help with the trauma that's associated with experiencing homelessness, kind of bridge counseling until they can get into permanent counseling. So we're really trying to be very holistic in Mm -hmm. addressing the the issue um, across the board. So the reality is we're probably serving 100 to 120 
folks on a monthly basis. Our but our shelter program is a little bit more more limited. Yeah, yeah it seems to me that everybody's situation is unique. And oh, that's absolutely. Probably what makes your program difficult as far as yeah. everybody is. It's not a cookie cutter kind of a program, right? No, everybody we get unique. asked all the time. You know, what is the you know, why are these families homeless? Well, it could be anything under the sun. It could be, um, you know, we had a, a, a mother who became homeless because uh, her boyfriend decided he wanted another girlfriend and kicked her out. Uh, we, we've had, um, we had a, a family that became homeless when their uh, apartment was condemned. Mm-hmm. They had no control over that. They, you know, but the landlord wasn't taking care of it, and you know, they were out of a place to live. Um, you know, a lot of times it's a loss of income. Mm-hmm. You know, they get. You know, we had a, a woman who had a diagnosis cancer, had to have a lot of meds. So she had to make a decision: was she going to pay for her her med- medication, or was she going to pay her rent? Wow. She's one that we were able to help get caught up on her on her rent, and she was able to avoid homelessness. So when somebody asks me why somebody becomes homeless, I just say yes. <laughs> and the thing is, we're all a paycheck away, maybe mm-hmm. two paychecks. Yeah. Um, I say all the time there, but for the grace of God, go I. Typically, how do you get clients? Um, yes. <laughs> it's, you know, we take a lot of referrals from our church Leaders will send folks to us. We take referrals from uh, the other shelters in the area. We take uh, other service organizations will refer folks to us. Um, it's a it's just a mix of of things. It's word of mouth. It's mm. a little bit of everything. You know, we're typically our shelter is typically running a waiting list. We have we have no shortage of clients, unfortunately. What about the mental health situation? Sure. Uh, I know uh, in central Pennsylvania right now we're seeing, well, all over the all over our country, we're seeing an uptick in uh, people who have more and more difficulty with uh, mental health issues, which in the past have never been addressed by anybody. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I don't think that we fully realize the impact that the pandemic had on our mental health state in general. Um, and we, you know, as I said before, we have a program that we, we call our Heads Up program, which is really designed to help families who have experienced homelessness kind of deal with that trauma. We have a, counsel, a certified counselor that will meet with them, provide them with resources and tools, and uh, work with them. And it's not designed to be permanent counseling, but you know, it's designed to fill in that gap until they can get into permanent counseling. Excellent. Well, thank yeah. you for enlightening us about this incredible program that you have, Absolutely. Family Promise of Harrisburg Capital Region. Can you give us your email address and your website so our listeners sure. can, uh, know where they need to go? Sure. You can email me. It's just matthew at familypromisehcr.org. You can also go on our website. It's www.familypromisehcr.org. Yeah, so HCR stands for Harrisburg, Harrisburg Capital, Capital Region. Region. Yep. And so you're part of ha- the the promise, the family promise is the big organization. Yeah. And you're you're the local kind of 
exactly. chapter of it, yep. right? The, the analogy I always use is we're kind of like McDonald's. <laughs> we're the, <laughs> local, the local franchise. franchise yep, right. absolutely. Well, listen, thank you very much for spending time with Thanks us here at Holy Family me. Radio. Appreciate okay. being. We'll have to have you back again and give we'll us an update that. on how, how things are going with your organization. Sure, okay? that'd be great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this segment of Catholic Focus. I'm Joan Ebistinsky, your host. Please listen again next time.